0: Well, hello, I'm Neil Taylor, and this is the second edition of the Brand and Business Podcast from David Carroll & Co. We're talking to a few specially selected high flyers about how they've used their brand to change their business and the opportunities and obstacles they faced along the way. Joining me and David this time is Keith Holt, investment expert, investment expert, board advisor and founder of Equity Impact Partners. We'll be talking about the role of Brand in growing a business and how he tackled creating his own. So, Keith, you're in the world of private equity. How did you get there?
1: I'd say I'm in the world of working with private equity and investors and management teams to extract maximum value from their businesses in the shortest amount of time. And I think the real question is, how did I get there? And it's been a journey and it's quite interesting when I look back as to how joined up it actually is. Training as an industrial engineer, which to me was a business engineering degree, going into management consulting ending up in the IBM consulting group and looking at business strategy and customer strategy and all of those things, moving into the commercial world where it's sitting at the other side of the table, getting my hands dirty, working with a Swiss Post subsidiary at a global level and head of global sales, before moving into private equity, which might seem like a strange jump, but doing that, being asked to head up the value enhancement team of LDC and work with the businesses they'd invested in, the management teams and the boards, to look at ways to accelerate and drive growth in a short period of time to extract that, which really culminated and led to me wanting to found equity impact partners, which is all about that. How do you connect investors, business owners, management teams and boards so that they're working together to extract the maximum value from the business?
0: So it's interesting that you talked about growth and you talked about enhancing the value Because for some people, private equity, well, they're dirty words, aren't they? Because they have a reputation for slashing costs to get margins up. So how do you feel about that reputation? I mean, I think historically that
1: may well have been the case with one or two, but increasingly over the last decade or so, there's been a much greater focus on how do you help a business become healthier. How do you professionalize it? How do you make it more fit for purpose? How do you help it to really extract the value from the market, not just in terms of taking out cost? Obviously, if there's excess cost, you want to optimize that. But also in terms of looking at how effectively they were penetrating the market, how were they effectively were they positioning themselves in the market? How do you work with the business to make it a better quality business so that it can get better results as a result of that? And so on the one hand, you had your investment guys who were focused on the numbers and making sure they got the return for the money they put in with us working right alongside them and the management teams and the boards and especially the chairman to say, how do we bring all of this together and create a healthier, better business at the end that would be better placed by the time we were finished our part of it. And that really led me to to one of the core reasons why I set up Equity Impact Partners.
0: So you said you started looking at brand as a way of growing those businesses. Is that normal for someone in that world or are you an unusual person?
1: I'm not sure if I'm unusual, but possibly in the sense that I'd like to look at things holistically. And when you look at particularly the growth side of a business brand is one of those things that's a key lever of driving growth so you don't necessarily want to go in and do everything in a business as an investor you've only got three or four years to do it in so you've got to do those things that have the biggest impact Brand is a key part of that. How do people see you? How are you positioned in the market? Not just from a customer perspective, but when you've invested in a business, you've also got to think about how you're going to exit the business in the future. And so it's about how do you position that business so that the incoming buyer for the business or the incoming investor also takes one look at it when they walk through the door for the first time and has a positive feel about it and says, yes, I like this. This is something I want to invest in as well. So from all aspects, brand becomes quite a compelling lever to look at when you're looking at not just the growth of the business, but the returns that you'll get from your investment in that business.
0: And you said this investor coming in might have a feel about the business, which feels a very vague, touchy-feely word. It's not what I'd expect from a
1: finance person. I think the finance part of me has come about as a result of being involved in private equity. But at heart, although sort of the industrial engineer in me has got the engineering part, a large part of my career has been in sales and marketing and development. And I used to tell my sales teams, people buy on emotion but justify with logic. So in many ways, the financial elements are just the rational logic for justifying why you want to do the investment. The emotional part is, does it feel right? Does it look as though this management team know what they're doing? Does it feel as though the business is operating in a professional way? Even down to walking in the reception and getting a good warm feel for, yes, it's a good, clean, tidy reception, this means that they're probably on top of other aspects of it. And when it comes to brand, there's a lot of emotion in a brand. When you think of Apple, for example, what do you think? The first thing you think is, high-tech company, hugely successful, market-leading products and innovation. There's characteristics and attributes and values that you associate with that, which may have their roots in a rational basis, but there's a lot of emotion in that as well. So yes, there is a warm feeling that you want to get from a good brand. And a great example of that was Fevertree, who were a company that LDC invested in very soon after I arrived there. If I remember correctly, I think they invested around £48 million pounds into the business when they went into it in March 2013. And it was listed on the AIM market around 18 months later in 2014 for £154 million which in private equity and investor world is quite a short hold period for an investment with a very good return at that stage. Yeah, I'd take that. But if you look at the valuation just two years after that, it was over $2 billion. And you've got to ask yourself, what drove that? Why was it that so many investors were so keen on putting their money into Fevertree and have continued to drive the performance of that business? It's a great company. It's got a great story behind it. They've got a great name and even the story behind how they came up with that name is a good story. Why? Where's the name come from? It's the colloquial word for quinine, for the tree in Africa where it comes from, if I, if I remember correctly as well. And there's a whole story about how the founders went off to Africa to go and find the source and all of those sorts of things. It's not just about that. They were a well-performing business, well-run business. They had a good strategy for distributing their product into the world. And I remember the first time I went into a pub or shortly after we invested in Tree, and asked for a gin and tonic. And the barman said, well, do you want the normal tonic? And I won't mention the brand name. <laughs> or do you want the premium tonic? And I, I sort of guessed at where he was going, but I didn't want to say, is it that? And I said, well, what's the difference? I so said, well, the premium one is Tree." And it's told me that the message around the brand was already getting in at a pub level, behind the bar counter, and it's continued to be the case. I think that's a great example of the importance of having a very compelling brand and a very compelling message and a very compelling story that is not just compelling even at a bar level for me to think, well, of course, I'm going to pay more because I want a premium tonic in my gin to the investors say, actually, I'm prepared to put a lot of money into this business to own a slice of it, because I think it's a good investment that's going to go places. And those investors have got very, very good returns since then, if you look at the current valuation.
0: And you're saying those investors are behaving on some level as emotionally and potentially irrationally as the bloke in the pub?
1: Well, I think, as I said in earlier, people buy an emotion justify with logic. And the first hook would be that emotional hook when they look at the business and say, is there a good story? Is it something I like? Do I want to be associated with it? And that's all emotion. Afterwards, they'll justify it with the numbers and say, are the sales there? Are the numbers there? But the first hook is that emotional hook to say, yes, this is something I can get behind. I want to be identified and associated with. And is it going to enhance my personal image or brand or feel? And am I going to have a feel-good factor because I've put some money into this because it's heading in the right direction?
0: So that's interesting because we often make a distinction between B2B, business to business, and B2C, business to consumer. And actually, it sounds like you're saying, well, investors are more like consumers than people think, or maybe more than they care to admit. This might
1: not be a view shared by everybody, but I think all sales is one to one. It's always person to person. I'm invested in businesses that are both heavily in the retail space and also in the services space to businesses. And there are clear differences about how you approach the market in each. But at the end of the day, it's an individual or a group of individuals that make the decisions to whether they buy from you or not, whether they're going to invest in you or not. So whether you're approaching a big institution for their big pot of money, there's normally one or two people behind that that have to make the decision. I tend to see brand has been something that has to appeal to individuals rather than differentiating between businesses and consumers or what have you. In the retail environment, yes, there's a huge number of individuals you have to build a brand with. And in in that sense, the work at building a brand can become more expensive and take more effort. But I think it's still true to say that even in a B2B sense, it's individuals that the brand has to appeal to
0: and that you need a response from
1: at the end of the day.
0: So, David, I'd imagine that lots of projects you work on, you have a client saying, at some point we have to go and convince the CFO or our major shareholder or whoever, and they're presented as sceptics. And here you've got someone like Keith who just seems to completely get it. Were you really pleased when you found him?
2: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, when Keith and I met about two, three years ago, the first meeting we kind of just hit it off I could clearly see that he understood the value of the brand and what that branding process could do for his businesses that he was working with and as a result we kind of embarked on a number of projects which actually added value to the businesses.
0: Do you think you two are doing the same thing?
1: No, because I would never position myself as the expert in how do I knit the thing, put it all together. I'd position David as that person. So while I can identify, yes, I think there's an opportunity here to take a brand that has potential value and make it real value. I'd look to David as the expert to say, David, I need your help to put that into whatever form or shape it needs to be so that the audience that i'm trying to target is receptive to that and it's appealing to them
2: yeah i'd agree i mean we i went on keith's equity impact masterclass last summer and there was a lot of questions that he was asking of us that we all normally ask of our clients what is the future exit you know is there a plan to grow the business and what is your international strategy if you have one so you're trying to really understand the business from that point of view in terms of the process there's similarities between what we do Equally, I wouldn't understand the investment side of what are things that need to happen either. So that's where Keith would be ideal.
0: So Keith, although David is the person who kind of brings it to life and, and makes it happen at the end of the day, clearly when you walk into a business, you have a view or you form a view about, is what they've got good so far? How do you get to that opinion,
1: I think if I take a step back, I think when people think of brand, often they think of the iconic brands, the Apples, the Amazons, the one I just mentioned, Tree. In reality, I think the brand is more when you think about a company name or an identity, what do you feel about it? It doesn't necessarily have to be a name. If I think of IBM, it's three letters that I think originally were international business machines. Yeah, it's a
0: really boring name. So
1: it's a really boring name, but the short form of it, IBM, has become a global, very valuable brand. Whereas Apple's a word that people identify with, and you say, well, what does Apple in terms of its letters stand for? It doesn't. It's just the name. Same as Amazon, same as Alphabet. So brand, to me, is more than just the logo or the image or what have you. So to answer the question, when I go in, then what I'm looking for and is at what level does the brand exist within the company? And it might not be at the company name level. It could be at the product level. And it's important to be able to understand which one is important in the first instance. So if I think of another company I worked with, Property Software Group, known in the market as PSG. Now, they were known, well-known at a PSG level, but what they were well-known were for this, the software that they sold underneath that, of which they had four or five different platforms which did have their own brand names, which were known in the real estate and property space. and When they were sold, they were eventually sold to Zoopla. It was for the product portfolio that they had rather than the overall company name itself. However, the brand value of Property Software Group was that when you thought of them, if you knew who they were, you knew that they built quality platforms and software products underneath for the property and real estate space. I look a lot at what is the company like? What characteristics is it exhibiting? Are they aligned with what it's telling the market in terms of its message and what it's trying to convey? Another company that I worked with in the last year, Missouri, who everybody would know if you're into cricket as the cricket helmet company, and you might think that's all they do. But they don't only do that. They do team wear as well. So the first time I met them was when we were talking about what they did. One of the questions I asked him is, well, how do you align Teamway with the Cricket Helmet Company when people think of Missouri as a cricket helmet company, which is all about protection? Well, when you start digging into it, Missouri is also known for service and quality. And when it comes to Teamway, one of the downfalls in the market is that a lot of the other players out there fall down on service and quality. So that's how the brand characteristics start playing a role within the brand itself. When I look at it, although I might not have the analytical methods that David might have to go and assess what's going on in a brand, I will look at a company and I will say, what is it trying to portray? What is the message and the value proposition it's trying to put across? And is that aligned in terms of its values and its characteristics with what it's actually doing, with what it's actually selling, and how are customers seeing that? So to me, brand is not just the logo. It's everything. It's the message that a company is putting out there is that resonating with its audience and its customer base and and all its other
0: stakeholders? So there's something interesting there. Me and David have both worked for big brand consultancies that would quite often say you start with your business strategy and then you get your brand strategy to reflect that in the outside world. But it sounds like you might be saying, actually, if there's something good about your brand... Your business strategy, what you sell even, should fall off the back of that rather than the other way around. Is that fair?
1: I think in an ideal world, you probably would start with saying what do I want to do as a business and what is my strategy as a business. And then defining a set of values and characteristics, brand associated that are aligned with that. The reality is most businesses, they might have a strategy, but they've been on the go for a while. And the message they're putting out there isn't necessarily always aligned with what they're actually doing or what they're actually saying. A lot of companies have issues because none of that's aligned. The message they put out to the market is not what they're actually doing behind the scenes. And it's not what customers are actually seeing when they deal with them. And I think that in its own causes confusion. So I'm not sure if it's brand first and then strategy or strategy first and then brand. I think the two almost go hand in hand and there's a message that you wanna put out there and there's a way that you want the market and your audience to see you. Is that actually in line or aligned with your brand and what exists over here?
0: David, do you buy this distinction between brand strategy and business strategy?
2: If you get your brand right, it can lead you into new areas, new territories and product development or whatever it is, Mm. should come from the core of the brand. And you can judge whether the new idea is relevant by measuring it against what the brand stands for, for example. They can lead each other on. That's why we've called this series brand and business because we do think that they are hand in hand.
1: Just to re-emphasize that as well, I think in an ideal world, you lay out your business strategy and from that you extract what you want your brand to be. But in the real world, brand and business strategy are both evolving things. And if you just think about where Google started as just a search engine to what it is now, as a business, it is completely different. I think people still think of Google when they think Google, they think search. But in reality, as a business, it is now many, many more things. It is artificial intelligence. They come up with, well, they're going to have a holding company called Alphabet. I have no idea what Alphabet stands for as a brand. It's meaningless to me because Google has the meaning. But I do know that it's the holder of all these other things. So the two evolve. But I think in an ideal world, yes, business strategy should shape what you want your brand to be in the real world they both evolve and sometimes the business strategy is in the lead and other times brand leads if it's brand then sometimes that's because the market is deciding for you which way you should take the business strategy as well rather than you telling the market which way you're
0: going to go so when you start working with i guess business owners who want to grow their business or want to sell their business do they get what you're talking about when you start talking about this stuff
1: I actually start with a very simple question very often which helps people get it quite quickly and I just simply ask them, tell me what you do. I often find that within about five minutes of them starting to try and answer that you get a very clear feel for whether what they're doing is in line with their brand and their values and with where they should be going. And I often find that if a CEO struggles to articulate very clearly what they do then often there's also misalignment with their brand and there's misalignment within the business in terms of the messages they're conveying to their customers and other stakeholders and so on and
0: you can pick that up in five minutes
1: not in detail but you can get a sense of it just because you absolutely find that the more you do this There will be some senior executives who are absolutely on point and who are very clear and they say, this is what we're about. And you go and ask the sales team the same question and they say they give you the same message. And you go and ask the customers what they think the company does and they give you the same feedback. And that to me is a very simple way of saying, is there alignment in this whole lot? More often than not, when there's not alignment, you find it's those companies that are struggling. A brand and the brand story is a good place to start to say, okay, well, let's start talking about your brand. What is it that you want to be known for? What is it do you want people to see you as? Is that really what they're seeing or what they're feeling or what your people within your business are actually doing and are working towards? And do you use the word brand? Yes, I do. Maybe not always in the first instance, but I'll get there very quickly. So the other day I was talking again to the CEO of Antler, who I know well, the luggage company. And David met him while I was at LDC. I introduced David to them. They've subsequently been sold to a different investor. Although they're one of the players in the, in the market, they could be so much more if they invested more within their brand. We were talking about it, and I said to him, I really think one of the big areas you could be investing in going forward is your brand, and they're aware of that. And that's because in a very competitive market space, when there's so many other players... Their big opportunity is not to improve the way they sell or everything else. They've got all of that. Their big opportunity is how do they make themselves a more loved, wanted, desired brand amongst this mass of other competitors and other options that there are out there. And if you think about Antler for a second, there's a lot that goes for them. They've got huge history. They're an English company. There's so much to play for there that they're not fully leveraging or could be leveraging more to get into a much stronger position within the market
2: in a kind of a an anodyne market where you know all you're buying is, is luggage, Your personality really goes a long way. And we find that when there are brands that we work with, in the legal sector for example, everybody is very, very similar. So personality can actually help you rise above the crowd and stand out, which is ultimately what the brand is there to do. So maybe you stand out in the marketplace. So in a brand in like Antlers, absolutely they've got to leverage everything that they have to help them go up against the big players like Samsonite and players like those.
1: Just to add to that, the whole idea of brand and personality is an idea that I love. But I think it is a very powerful one. You read lately about how social media is driving the personal brand more and how it's so important to manage your personal brand and be careful about what you tweet. And things that you would put on years and years ago could come back to haunt you and the world is very unforgiving. At a personal level, you've got to manage your brand more than ever. And there's not a lot of people who are very good at managing a personal brand. Some are outstandingly good. Steve Jobs was one. I think Elon Musk is very good at managing a personal brand. We can name names of other people who are not all that good. can argue about whether Trump is good or not. (laughs) That's a different (laughs) podcast. Yeah. But for me, when you link that back to a business, a brand is the business personality. When your name pops up, what are they thinking? Or do they think nothing at all? You asked me, how do I know whether there's work to be done? My first question is, does anybody know this company when I mention the name? If they do, what do they think about it? And what's the next step to be done? And there's different answers to the question. But I love the idea of brand and personality being very strongly associated with each other. A business has a personality.
0: I was going to say, why do you love it?
1: Because it's a very real emotional thing. And people underestimate the power of that emotion. Why would I buy an Audi as opposed to a Toyota? They might be under the cover, both the same quality, both driving a similar way. To me, there's a strong emotional connection to the Audi. Well, I guess if you look at VW and Seat and Skoda, I mean, it's literally the same car. It's the it? same car, it's the same engine, but they've got different names on the outside and I'm prepared to pay a whole lot more because it's got an Audi name on the outside which must be magic doing what you do. If you can take the same thing and get more for it. And actually, isn't that exactly the point? It might be exactly the same company underneath the covers, but that's what the brand gives you. It gives you a whole lot more value. And it means that somebody is prepared to pay a whole lot more or to be associated with you because of the value of your brand and the power of the
0: emotional connection that is there. Have you seen how a good CEO actually makes that happen? Because presumably it's one thing to say, we're going to have a great brand and this is it, and another to actually make that real in the business.
1: I think a good CEO, I think, will more often not not underestimate the power of the brand. There's a lot out there who think that just coming up with a company name or just getting behind a company name and doing what they is enough I remember years ago reading a book where it was a marketeer who said marketing is the lifeblood of an organization and brand is very much a part of the marketing of an organization, the positioning of that organization. When you look at a good CEO, then they will recognize the power of that and the importance of positioning their company in the right way. They will recognize that the first thing a lot of people will do when they hear the company name is go and Google it and if the right things aren't coming up, then it's going to create a negative image, even down to a website with SEO, what have you, if I Google a company and the first thing that comes up on the top of the page is the company's house registration rather than their URL for the website then that already says something to me is that they haven't paid enough attention putting that company in the forefront of someone's mind. And a good CEO will always be thinking, how do I put my company at the top of every list that's out there? Missouri is a good example. They've got competitors out there, and they might be next to each other on the shelf in the sports store. But when a customer walks in, even though that Missouri helmet might be more expensive than the other one, What's going to make them reach out and take that one and put their hand in their pocket and fork out more for that?
0: Well, that's this idea that brand is actually about elimination of choice. You make it just
1: obvious which one someone is going to buy. That's exactly it. If your focus is how do I make it the only option amongst many options, then that to me is the power of brand.
0: And how do you convince them if they're sceptical of what looks like, I guess, an unnecessary expense to them?
1: In an ideal world, I'd say that's when I get David in to come and do the detailed (laughs) analysis. But I can take them as far as understanding that actually there's an opportunity to do more here. With the right investment, they could improve their results a whole lot more.
0: And how would you measure that it had worked? If you got this right, it sounds like fever tree, you think, got this right. What's the proof that it was worth investing in? Ultimately, it's in the numbers. From
1: an investor perspective or from a business owner perspective, what you want to see is better sales. You want to see more people buying more often, more expensive items without too much
0: discounting along the way. So David, how much are you thinking about the results?
2: Well, we focus on the results from the start. We ask what the growth plans are for the business, what the vision is for the business, what the exit strategy is, if there is one and we're very lucky that we've tracked a lot of the the work that we've done over the years and the investments that the clients have put in and the returns that they've had across the board we often see doubling of turnover within 3 to 5 years so we did a law firm they were 40 million 5 years later they were 80 million turnover an engineering firm 7 million started 14 million within 3 to 5 years
0: so the cynics listening to this though will be saying well that's not brand that's having a really good board that's it being well run are you confident that, that's, that the confident, brand has had
2: much to do with that? I'm confident because the clients say it. We've had a company, Max Fordham, the engineering company. They've put a lot of the, the results down to clarity around the brand and the fact that it then gave them confidence to go out to the market and to sell and for the market to see them as the leaders in sustainable building engineering. Everyone else are caught up. They reestablished their leadership position, you know, it's kind of been unstoppable growth in a way.
1: I want to say something that I think is very important that's related to that, though. For a company to be successful in its numbers, brand is important, but it's not the only thing. So, for example, a company can put a huge amount of effort and investment into building a big brand. But if they fall down on shipping the goods to the customer on time and things like that, and the company isn't well run underneath, and there's not good governance in it and everything else, then that will be brand eroding. So as much as you can invest in the brand, you can destroy a brand by having a poorly run company underneath it in terms of everything else. So it all has to fit together. It's an important part of it in the sense that your brand is what you want people to see about you, but you have to follow that up with real action and real quality in terms of everything else about your business.
0: So Keith, it's all very well advising other people how to do this stuff, Presumably, when you started your business, you had to think about that brand from scratch completely. Yes, I did. Even
1: starting with the name in terms of Equity Impact Partners. And I asked myself, what was it that I actually wanted to do for businesses and what did I want to be seen as? Where I got to was that I wanted to be seen as somebody or the people that I worked with as people who could come in and give real impact to a company's performance, give real insights into what. needed to do to get them to improve their results to accelerate their growth or whatever the case is what was i trying to impact well actually i was trying to impact the equity and the value of that equity for the business owners whether it was the investors or the founders or whatever the case might be then i thought what sort of image do i want in terms of the logo and the way the message came across and so on which is when i sat down with david if you think about finance and corporate finance and banking then very often the image that you have in your head is quite a formal image. It's not a very exciting, energetic image. And what I wanted to do was to almost be seen as this bridge between this finance world or this investment world that has that image. But I wanted to be seen as almost the person or the company that could come in and bring energy to that and work hand in hand with that to get real results, to give real momentum, to add real pace and energy to the whole thing. And I remember having this conversation with David right at the beginning say, when we come up with a brand or the message or the impact, it needs to be bold, it needs to have energy, and there needs to be almost movement and flow in it. If I remember correctly, that was the conversation we had. We didn't just look at the logo level. We looked at the business card. How did we want that to come across and the book the Captain's Voyage that you helped me write, that was oh, yeah. part. It's
0: all coming back to me. That now.
1: was part of the whole brand packages. And I'd say that I've had lots of very positive feedback. I even took it down to the quality of the business card. When you give somebody a card how do you make them remember it? And actually, the feel of a business card makes a difference. So make it thicker, make it smooth, let it leave an impact. So they say, well, this is good. And I had that from a past experience, did it again, and it absolutely has people have commented. What I'm trying to say is that it actually does also come down to small things because I want to give a message across that the service you'll get from me is high quality, it's thoughtful, it's insightful, but I'm also going to bring energy. And actually maybe there's even a bit of fun along the way that we can have. And when it came to the booklet that you helped me write, yes, I could have gone and written something up. But it's important that every word counts. Even if they don't realize when they're reading it, every word does count. And it takes five minutes to read. But yesterday I met with a guy who called me back today said, Keith, I showed your booklet to a couple of people. They all want to meet you now. And that's Um,
0: because it's effectively your manifesto in a way or your methodology.
1: And that framework I've taken and I've driven it through the business work, everything I do. So when I sit down and private equity or investors ask me, well, how am I going to work with their management team? I say, well, I use a framework that is linked to a metaphor called the captain's voyage, and this is why. And I use those parts of it when I talk to the business teams and the management teams and the investors. And then later on, it's quite amusing sometimes when you're sitting in a board meeting and somebody pops up, ah, yes, Keith, now we're talking about the route or the seaworthiness of the ship. And they start linking back to this terminology that you've used. And that, again, is all part of the brand because that's how people then begin to see you. Why would somebody remember me as opposed to a guy down the road who might be telling people that he does exactly the same thing? I can almost guarantee that one thing is about the brand is different and the story is different. That all came about as a result of working with David and your input in terms of the booklet and bringing the whole package together. And from there, then the masterclass came out of that. Well, what is the masterclass framework? Well, it links back to the booklet. So everything about the business... I look for ways to help it fit within the same framework so that when people think about me, they've got this image or this personality and create a personality around the business.
0: You're smiling lots. You seem proud of it.
1: I am. And I actually think that when you get it right, it is something to smile about because you get an emotional attachment to it as well. I think a lot of brand is about emotion. It's not just about how the world outside sees you and connects with you. It's also about how people within the business from the leadership within the business all the way through also connect with that business and feel a sense of pride in it how will you keep people even when they're not necessarily the best paid in the market or even when things aren't necessarily going the way they should be how do you keep them on board using buckets to get water out the ship when there's a hole in the bottom you can't leave this much for alone can Can you? you no it's when they all bought into the brand and the personality, and they all feel a part of this thing. And actually the brand is really the identity. It's that thing that makes customers and employees and suppliers and investors all feel good about being a part
0: of it. It's interesting the word identity, because obviously that's a bit of jargon in the industry. People talk about visual identity, but Keith is talking about it in a much richer sense, I guess.
2: I mean, it comes back to the idea of, as Keith was saying, that sales is about one-to-one. It's about human it's human identity. It's people identifying with the business, the brand, the products, the services, whatever it is. Drawing that out, I don't think we should be afraid of bringing out the personality. You use that in your writing, you know, it's very much bring your personality to work. Brands need to have a personality. They need to be human, they need to be engaging. In the corporate world of private equity, Keith is really standing out because, you know, the Equity Impact Partners is standing out because it has personality.
0: And we talked last time about overhauling a brand that has been around for a while. How different is it starting with a blank piece of paper with the owner of a business?
2: Well, it's very exciting. I mean, in a way, you know, you still have to do your diligence and you have to look at what the competitive set is doing and what is your point of difference. The foundations are the same, but the difference with a new brand is you have to have, to borrow one of Keith's key you have to have impact and you have to have credibility from day one. You're not doing this to pack up and leave six months later. You know, you're you're building a, a strong business with a strong foundation. So the brand needs to help you on that journey. So it has to come in from day one, be different in the marketplace. People need to get what you're about. So It needs that clarity around it. And it needs that identity and engagement and that instant credibility.
0: And it must be satisfying it doing it with the person who's actually got the vision.
2: Absolutely, I mean, whichever project we work on, whether it's a new brand or an established brand, the founder's vision is extremely important. We've discussed that a lot about what is Keith's vision for the business? And we spend a lot of time talking around that rather than what color do you like? You know, that <laughs> That's one of my way. questions coming up, what do you mean? <laughs> What's your favorite color? But even when we go into established businesses, there's always a reason why that business was started. Whether it was, you know, a jeans company or a tech company or a, a building engineering company, there was a, there's always a vision from someone that they wanted to do something different. They wanted to launch into the world something new and, and inspiring. We spend a lot of time talking to the CEOs of the business actually to find out what that sort of founder's story is.
0: And Keith, given that you do help other people with this stuff, was it harder doing it for yourself? I found it quite an
1: interesting process and I think that it takes more effort than you think because it's easy to just jump in and start doing stuff. It's quite hard sometimes to sit down and think, what is my vision actually? What should I really be? What is the core message I want to be conveying? Because when you're doing it yourself and you're starting from the beginning and you it's the founder's vision and message, then you're almost looking at your core to say, this is me. What is it about me that I'm putting out there through this entity that is my business, the Equity Impact Partners? It was easier in the sense that it was a blank sheet of paper, that there wasn't any baggage or anything, and that it was something that I'd been thinking about for quite a while in terms of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. I find the hardest thing to do is to crystallize something down into something that's succinct and clear. It's very easy, as we know from writing the booklet, to write reams and reams of paper. It's very hard to bring it down. Thank God it's difficult. It's a career for some But actually, that's an important message in itself because I often tell CEOs that if they can't articulate their message in half a minute, then they're probably going to miss a lot of customers out there. One of the lessons I had in my previous company, in the private equity company that I worked in, was one of the first investment businesses that I worked with. I sat down with the CEO, and I won't mention the company's name. And I said, tell me what you do. And I'd actually done the research, so I actually had an idea of what they thought they did. (laughs) And it was a software company. An hour later, he was still trying to articulate what they did. And at that point, I said it very nicely. I said... I'm sorry, but you've taken an hour and actually you still haven't conveyed your message clearly to me. I still don't know what you really want to be telling the market. And I'm quite sure that I'll find that your sales teams don't know either. And when I'd spent a bit of time in the business, that was exactly the case. And I walked out of that first meeting and I told my boss at the time, I said, I think you're going to have a problem with this investment. And it wasn't too long before they'd had to change the entire senior executive team And they had to spend a lot of effort just to get it back to the point where they could get any return on that investment. To get a succinct, clear message with a brand that everybody associates is actually quite hard, even if it's a
0: good place to start with a blank sheet of paper. So this is going to be the second time. So we'll now play our traditional game of brand Mr. and Mrs. Almost. I'll ask you both the same question and we'll see how similar your answers are. But you don't win a speedboat, sadly, for getting it right. So, what was the best bit of the project? Brainstorming the beginning and putting my initial ideas down on paper
1: and seeing how they got picked up by David.
2: Like being open to the bold identity.
1: What did you get wrong? Trick question, because I'm not sure anything is wrong yet, and I'll probably find out in a little while if there was.
2: <laughs> I like uh, the yet. <laughs> <laughs> David, anything I wrong? I agree with Keith. No, no, nothing wrong. It's all perfect. No, blimey.
1: Did anything surprise you along the way? I'm not sure if it was surprising or pleasing, but being able to put an idea or thought down and to discuss it with David and to see how that was translated into imagery and a look and feel on paper, I think was very pleasing and made me smile when I said, "Okay, this looks good. David?
2: The confidence to go with a brand which was so different to the marketplace and to believe in it so passionately as you do.
0: And we've probably got a sense of this, but David, best thing about working with Keith?
2: I think being an engaged CEO of the business, being articulate and being passionate about the value of the brand, recognising that the brand is an important part of his business as he starts on his journey at the very beginning, that was great to be open about that and wanting to do it.
1: Keith, best bit about working with David? I think the thoughtfulness but linked with the creativity, how did he take what I told him and translate that into something that could go out to market? One of the positive outcomes of the process of working with David is that it gave the business an identity that I could personally identify with. It's not just how do I align my business with my customer base, it's actually how do I personally, as the founder and the CEO, actually look at it and think, this is my identity in a very
0: personal way. Well, you're going to be living with it for a long time, right? Yeah, precisely. There's something interesting to me where it seems like the two of you are coming at similar questions, but with a slightly different filter and different skills. Is that fair?
2: Our joint focus is creating value and growth for our clients. We've got different skill sets, but I think that's the ultimate joint aim. It's a powerful combination, I think.
0: Thank you, Keith and David. Coming up next time is David Freeze, Chief Executive of the mysteriously named FIS. Until then, check out davidcarolandco.com and leave us a nice review if you like the podcast so other people can find us. Talk soon. <laughs>